From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. It's common for artists to shout out other musicians they admire, but how about name-dropping some prominent literary figures? From Hemingway to Plath, Metallica to Bobby Womack, we'll explore literature's influence on music. Plus, we'll review the latest from Bob Mould and indie artist Sneaks. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott here with my partner, Jim DeRogatis. And this week, we're going to explore literature's influence on music by sharing some of our favorite songs that pay tribute to books and authors. We're kind of uh, authors of books, Greg, so why not? That is true. That's later in the show, but first, we're going to review some new music. That is a title track from Bob Mould's 13th solo album, Sunshine Rock. Uh, Bob Mould's been around for quite a while, Jim. Uh, he's one of oh, our yes. icons from the 80s. Husker Du, one of the most influential bands of that decade, uh, later on formed uh, Sugar, has had 13 solo albums. This is his 13th solo album. Wow. Quite a prolific artist. I would say a new era of Bob Mould music began in 2012 with the album Silver Age. That's when he got into a power trio with the drummer John Worcester from Superchunk. Uh, the great bassist Jason Narducci came together with Bob to record the Silver Age record in 2012, followed by Beauty and Ruin in 2014 and Patch the Sky in 2016. In many ways, sort of revived Bob Mould's career. Uh, now we have Sunshine Rock, which continues the collaboration with Narducci and Worcester. We're going to review the album in a second, uh, but here's a track from it called I Fought from Bob Mould's Sunshine Rock on Sound Opinions. That is I Fought by Bob Mould, album number 13 of his solo career that's called Sunshine Rock. I, I want to pause on that for a second. Mm. Greg, did we ever think we would get... This is the man who gave us black sheets of rain, yeah, right. and now he's giving us Sunshine Rock. Not only Sunshine Rock, Sunny Love Song, 30 Dozen Roses, Camp Sunshine. Bob's in a good mood. Days I get to spend making music with my friends, always most important. I want to make it clear. 
I never, and I know you try never, to give a pass to an artist just because we've essentially grown up with them. Mm. I mean, he's Uncle Bob, right? I was there when I was 15, 16 with Husker Du. Now, I've never just given him a pass because I will say this, and many Mold fans will hate me. I didn't like Sugar. Mm -hmm. I thought it it failed. Uh, But Bob has been on a career high since Silver Age, and I think in particular the last two albums, Beauty and Ruin is about the death of his father. Patch the Sky is about the death of his mom. And now he has emerged in a happier place. This is a self-conscious pop album in many ways. And by pop, I don't mean one-dimensional. I mean Kinks. The other Sun song I kept thinking of is like Waterloo Sunset Mm. by the Kinks. There's a sophisticated uh, lyricism and melodicism. that doesn't have to be dark, that doesn't have to be simplistic. It's just Bob reminding us that, yeah, Husker Du, even in the earliest days, the nastiest hardcore punk days, uh, covered Donovan, Sunshine Superman, yet another Sun song. I really like this album as part of the trilogy. Not quite as good as Silver Age, but better than the last two. And, And, you know, I'm glad Uncle Bob's happy. Well, it was a startling thing to see four uses of the word sun in the song titles. Yeah. You're you're looking down the album. And then even the album cover, those primary color lollipop colors that were on every Capitol record single Mm -hmm. of the 60s. You know, I think this is Bob Mould's version of a bubblegum record, which doesn't mean it sounds like the Archies, although there's some merit to that. Uh, You know, ramp up the Archies a little bit and you got got the Ramones, right, in some ways? Absolutely. And I think he's always been a great melody writer. Here the melodies are a little bit more at the forefront. He hasn't dialed back on the on the guitar playing at all. Uh, Worcester and Narducci are still really pushing him hard, but the melodies are at the forefront. And also the sense of, um, I think if, if the previous records were about mourning, this is almost like about reconciliation. Mm-hmm. When you listen to a song like The Final Year, it's, a, it's almost kind of wistful. looking back at, at the death of his parents and, you know, talking about the final years and sort of reconciling himself to that. On the song I Fought that we just played, I, I love that song. I almost feel like that's an homage in some ways to his late Husker Du a songwriting uh, partner, Grant Hart. Yeah. You're in my memory, you're in my history, you're in my everything, every time I sing along with you. recognizing that, you know, the voices in his past, these are part of your history, and he's kind of acknowledging that and being emboldened by it, where maybe there were the bitterness before, now there's almost a sense of, I've come this far because of you. You can't underscore either that there was death around Husker Du. There Mm -hmm. was drug addiction, there was death from AIDS, 
I don't think Bob would have ever said he was going to live to be Uncle Bob, it grand a, elder statesman of alternative. No, he's now indie rock 80s, yielded to alternative yeah. rock, and now he's just Bob. T- sort of talking about a, adult wisdom sounds like you know, you're making him sound like a has-been, but it, it, it's not at all. I think he's just acknowledging where he is in his life, and that's, yeah. I think, what we've always appreciated about his songwriting is he's very honest about who he is now. He's not yes. living in the past. And That is a little bit of The Way It Goes. It's a track from the new third album, Greg, by Sneaks, Highway Hypnosis. Um, Eva Mulchan of Washington, D.C., an extraordinary singer and songwriter. I don't know if anybody in the last 15, 20 years has done more with less. We are talking a lo-fi bed of bass, drum machine, maybe a little keyboard if she's feeling expansive, and this voice. I think it's a sort of natural extension of this minimalist idea of dance pop, trip hop, uh, setting the mood with as few ingredients as possible. She made a pretty big splash in the indie underground with her debut album 2016 Gymnastics, followed it up a year later with It's a Myth. Now we are getting from Eva Mulchan, a.k.a. Sneaks, album number three, Highway Hypnosis. We're going to play a track and then we're going to give our opinions. This is called Little Close from near the end of the album by Sneaks on Sound Opinions. Get a little close, can you 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 get a little close, all I hear means what you say, make it better every That is Little Close from Highway Hypnosis, the new record from Sneaks, her third album, uh, Jim, by uh, more than double uh, longer than her uh, debut album, which was all of 14 minutes. This is an yeah. extravagant yeah. 29 minutes. This, this is, is like this her is, triple album or for something. For Eva, this is the equivalent of Tales from Topographic <laughs> Oceans by, yes, yes. She's, she has sort of broadened her horizons musically. She's working with a couple of producers, uh, this rap producer, Tony Seltzer, and this uh, fellow named Carlos Hernandez, who's playing around in the indie rock scene in New York. Um, but still that avant-garde sensibility combined with sort of a punk ethos, you know, these little oddball songs that are sung, that are summer wrapped. There's hooks there built on repetition, minimalism, as you, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. Holy cow, I never 
But I like the variety of the rhythmic feels that she brings to this. You know, there's sort of a reggae feel on, on one track. There's all these kind of like weird uh, noisemakers that are providing rhythmic, uh, a rhythmic bed. There's even a song here that uh, draws off of Chicago footwork. I'm thinking about Hong Kong to Amsterdam. Yeah. She's, yeah. you know, she's working in these variety of contexts. You know, before you can even start to hate a song, it's going to go. I mean, it's, it's gone. It's on to the next one. So she kind of <laughs> like, you know, I w- in some ways I kind of, you she know. She almost cracks three minutes on one song. I do admire the fact when she starts to stretch out and says, you know, because there are, there are some good songs here in terms of, uh, you know, more in a more traditional sense. And I would love to see more of her stretching out in that way. Not all of it works. There's a couple of songs in there. That song Ecstasy with that sort of nursery rhyme kind mm-hmm. of melody and rhyme pattern doesn't, doesn't do much for me. But I, I would say overall, the variety of the record really appeals to me. And, and the fact that she's taking avant-garde music and, and, and working it into a pop context is a really interesting idea. I still don't think we've heard the best album we're ever going to get from this uh, young artist. But, uh, you know, this is a good progression for her. Yeah. You see, I was really disappointed. And I was like a Sneaks super fan. I, I really love the first two records, and I feel she's lost her path on this one. It, it seems absurd to say uh, uh, of an album where many of the songs are, forget about three minutes, barely two minutes, that this feels bloated. It does seems repetitive to me, Greg, uh, and I can listen on Endless Loop uh, to uh, Gymnastics, and It's a Myth. I like to put them both together on a playlist, right? Uh, this one, I, I think she lost the plot a little bit. I'm eager to see where she goes next. You know, if you look at a career that I think is similar, Laurie Anderson, right? Right. Big Science really stands out, and nothing Laurie did ever it sounded like that again. Some of what she did went interesting places. Some didn't, right? But she kept moving. I, I think Eva might uh, might be stuck in a rut with, you know, with, with all of like one hour of recorded huh, music over three albums. I, I'm looking forward to the next. No, no way I'm not going to listen to whatever she gives us next. This one, though, is like number three after the other two. Uh, like I said, Jim, I see real growth here. I can understand your, your reservations. You were much bigger on those early records I was. than I was. Uh, uh, and this one, I feel, is like her best one yet. So this, we is, are this is the one that got on you, that finally. And, and and you and I both, I, I wasn't really sure uh, what you or I would make of this Bob Mould record, which is a change in direction, but we both came down on the side of, of liking it. Uh, and now we want to hear from you, the listeners. What's your opinion on the new solo record from Bob Mould? How about the new one from Sneaks, uh, which we also just reviewed? Call 
1800 to leave a message with your thoughts. When we come back, songs about writers. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. I dread a sunny day, so I meet you at the cemetery gate. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. He is Greg Cott. And today we're talking about songs about writers. This is something our, our staff came up with. What a great idea. Yeah. We love writers. We love <laughs> songs. You know, over the years, literary figures have influenced, uh, you know, countless popular musicians. It Ain't My Place in the 9 yeah. to 5 World by the Ramones mentioning Lester Bangs, which I thought would be just too much if I played that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I could go on and on. I know I've got a full list. You've got a full list. I'm eager to hear. You are up first, Greg. Yes, Jim. Thank you. Um, I want to play uh, Bobby Womack's Across 110th Street, which was inspired by the novel of the same name by Wally Ferris. It became a movie in the 70s. And then uh, many people remember this song being used very prominently in uh, Quentin Tarantino's 90s movie, mm. uh, Jackie Brown. Uh, you know, his his tribute to those black exploitation movies such as Across 110th Street from the 70s. You know, the genre of, you know, so-called black exploitation movies, you know, it almost sounds like you're denigrating it. Uh, it would actually created some really uh, fascinating cinema, yeah. uh, not only for the, the hardcore tales of what uh, ghetto life was like, but also the soundtracks associated with those movies were well, Curtis fantastic. Mayfield, yeah. Superfly, yeah. Uh, Isaac Hayes with, with Shaft. I mean, we could go on and on. Trouble Man from Marvin Gaye, you know? Yeah. I mean, these were, uh, the soundtracks were every bit as good as the movies in many ways. Um, Womack was one of the great songwriters uh, in R&B. Um, and, you know, this continued on for decades. Across 110th Street is a movie in itself, the way it paints the depiction of what life was like in Harlem, at least from one perspective, um, in, in the early 70s. You know, been down so long, getting up didn't cross my mind. I know there was a better way of life that I was just trying to find, you know. This whole idea of struggle in a landscape that, uh, you know, basically is putting you down every day. Here's Across 110th Street, inspired by the Wally Ferris novel by Bobby Womack on Sound Opinions. I was the third brother of five Doing whatever I had to do to survive I'm not saying what I did was all right Trying to break out of the ghetto was a day-to-day fight Being down so long, getting up didn't cross my mind but I knew there was a better way of life and I was just trying to find. You don't know what you do till you put under pressure. Cross 110th Street is a hell of a tester. Across 110th Street, pimps trying to catch a woman that's weak. Across 110th Street, pushers won't let the junket go free.
Across 110th Street by Bobby Womack. Novel, movie, great song. Jim, have you, you, have you read the book? I have not read the book. Oh, okay. Well, I, you know, I have read some Raymond Chandler. And I will say he is not my favorite in the uh, noir genre. I would go with Jim Thompson first. But Raymond Chandler Evening by Robin Hitchcock. 1986, the Element of Light album. Hitchcock is out there with his backing band in the years after the Soft Boys and really is a com- almost completely different artist. You know, from this psychedelic uh, rock chaos, he begins to become a, uh, a really focused, brilliant singer-songwriter with a touch of the whimsical and the absurd. I have a, a Desert Island playlist in my head of a good three dozen Robin Hitchcock songs I can't live without, mm-hmm. okay? And this is one of them. It's a Raymond Chandler evening, and the pavements are all wet, and I'm lurking in the shadows because <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. I mean, there is every uh, crime noir, film noir movie ever made in one right. <laughs> brilliant four-line couplet, and the music perfectly matches the mood. Raymond Chandler Evening, a great song about a great author by a great artist, Robin Hitchcock on Sound Opinions.
Raymond Chandler evening, Greg. Well, I've had a lot of those. Robin Hitchcock. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Great song. I agree 100%. Uh, Chandler is a great author as well. Another great author, Ernest Hemingway, For Whom the Bell Tolls. I've heard of that guy. Yeah, Oak Park, right yeah. by us. 1940 novel uh, uh, set during the Spanish Civil War based on Hemingway's experiences fighting in that very same war. Uh, with, inspired this song by Metallica from... Ride the Lightning, its 1984 album, which many people, including myself, considered their best. Um, a lot of people love this song for uh, Cliff Burton's uh, long instrumental intro. I mean, mm. the entire band plays on it, but it came from a Burton riff, the late Cliff Burton. Uh, and one of the reasons he's so legendary in Metallica circles is because of little bits of instrumental inspiration just like this. But, but look at uh, Hetfield's, James Hetfield's words, and, and they're you know, not quoting the novel, but they're, they're, they're talking about the sense of uh, desperation among these men in the trenches who are realizing that you know, their life isn't... Basically, they have a finite life. It's, yeah. Death is staring them in the yeah. face The odds day. are against them. War is not a good thing, Jim, you no, know, in case no. you didn't know. War is bad. Uh, Metallica but, uh, said so. Interesting, though, because Metallica, during this era, was writing some interesting songs based on, uh, you know, reading material. I mean, uh, the Bible-inspired Creeping Death. Uh, the song One was uh, uh, taken from the Dalton Trumbo uh, novel about, uh, you know, Johnny Got Johnny His Gun. Johnny Got His Gun, yeah. Uh, so we're, we're seeing Hetfield kind of, uh, you know, taking these dire scenarios and, and, and turning them into... Uh, thrash metal songs during the 80s when Metallica was at its very yeah, best. Granted, it's sort of a high school sophomore uh, uh, reading list. It is, it is. And at the same time, how many sophomores, uh, you know, in high school who are listening to Metallica back then go, okay, all oh, right. maybe there is something so in I, his reading I just, stuff. I, I will never forgive Metallica for what it became shortly after this period. Well, I prefer to like, look at them pre-1990 yes, when, yeah. when they were a pretty great If band. it had only stopped then. <laughs> yes. Metallica, for whom the bell tolls on Sound Opinions.
That's for whom the bell tolls from Metallica. Hemingway meets thrash metal, Jim. Who'd have thunk it, Greg? Um, I'm going to play a song I, I played once, I think, as a Desert Island jukebox pick years ago. Sylvia Plath by Peter Loeffner. Um, You know, what a tragic life story. Sylvia Plath, the poet, the novelist of The Bell Jar. And what a tragic life story, Peter Loeffner. Uh, I think a lot of people don't know that name. He died at 24, 1977, young, you know, drank himself to death. Not a death to romanticize, just like Sylvia Plath's was not. You know, Loeffner uh, was a member of uh, Rocket from the Tombs, and and that would split into the Dead Boys and Perubu, and many mm-hmm. consider that Cleveland scene of the uh, mid-70s, uh, early 70s, as the birth of punk rock before that stuff ever happened in New York at CBGB. This, however, is a beautiful folk song. Um, You know, I I love the way that this uh, young, talented, aspiring writer and poet himself is is connecting with, uh, you know, what in many ways is like the epitome of the feminist poet novelist, right? Mm -hmm. Almost so possessively beloved of a certain generation of women that it's like, you know, you're a man, you can't even read Sylvia Plath. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I did and and I loved her. And, uh, you know, you're you're so conflicted about her taking her own life. Um, And it ends with Loeffner conflicted. You know, let's see if you can do one thing as graceful as Sylvia Plath, he says, and he repeats it several times, and then he turns it. Let's see if you can do one thing as senselessly cruel as Sylvia Plath, Mm -hmm. recognizing that the people left behind after a suicide carry that pain with them Mm -hmm. forever. But also, he's celebrating her spirit. Sylvia Plath came into Manhattan. She'd crawled from one cocoon where there was absolutely nothing happening. Well, there's the story of all punk rock, right? She said, if I'm going to be classless and crass, I'm going to break up some glass. Mm -hmm. And nobody broke anything sharper than Sylvia Plath. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think he's a genius. I think she was a genius. I think he gave her the tribute she deserves. Uh, Sylvia Plath by Peter Loeffner on Sound Opinions. Sylvia Plath was never too good at math. But they tell me that she finished at the head of her class And if she lost any virginity She didn't lose it too fast They couldn't hold any dress rehearsals for Sylvia Plath Came into Manhattan She had crawled out of one cocoon Where there was absolutely nothing happening She said if I'm gonna be classless and crass I'm gonna break up some glass Nobody broke anything sharper than Sylvia
There's no romance and excuses There's just a dance in the aftermath And when you check out of this hotel, Jack You're nothing but an autograph The desk clerk wakes up around seven And he tosses it out with the trash But he might keep around a couple of letters return addressed Sylvia Plath. Ah, a sad but beautiful song. Peter Lofner's Sylvia Plath. Indeed it is, Jim. And uh, when we return, we're going to continue our conversation about songs about writers. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim Duragatis. And today we're exploring some of our favorite tracks that shout out famous writers. And I want to talk about The Dark is Rising, uh, a uh, song by the band Mercury Rev that was inspired by a young adult novel by the British author Susan Cooper of the same name. In fact, it's a series of books that were published between 1965 and 77, The Dark is Rising series, a young adult novel that uh, talks about the power of dreams and Mm. uh, the whole notion that uh, this 11-year-old boy discovers that he is the chosen one to battle the forces of dark and save the light from from that. That series about the wizard followed later, right? Absolutely. Ripped the whole thing off. No, I mean, you know, to me, this was the kind of book that I read after hearing the song uh, because the song was so beautiful and so Mm. inspiring. A book that uh, not only appeals to young adults, but holds some uh, power for an adult as well, as, uh, as Jonathan Donahue, the author of the song, uh, the, the lead singer in uh, Mercury Rev, uh, talks about. I'd interviewed him once where he talked about the idea of dreaming about something uh, is the first step towards realizing it in your real life. Al- although the narrator of this song doesn't realize it in his real life, you feel there's a glimmer of hope there. And I think mm-hmm. that's the theme of these books is that no matter how crappy your life becomes, you know, there's always there's always a chance that you can you can climb out of this. Uh, okay. And believe me, you know, as a 15 year old kid, you probably need that. Yeah, need to hear that, to that once yeah. in a while. Uh, the Dark is Rising by Mercury Rev on Sound Opinions. I dreamed of you on my farm. I dreamed of you in my arms. But dreams are always wrong. dreams I'm always strong And now the creek is rising And all my bridges burned I always dreamed of big crowds Plumes of smoke and high clouds But dreams don't Yeah. 
But I know that until then, unless the stars surrender, all will be concealed. And now the snow is falling, and all my fence is torn. Dark is Rising from Mercury Rev, based on the Susan Cooper novel. What do you got next, Jim? Well, I'm going to stay in the dream uh, theme, Greg, since since uh, you had one. Uh, this might be more of a nightmare. Uh, Black Sabbath, self-titled, debut album, mm-hmm. 1970, Behind the Wall of Sleep. That's not the one like Sabbath fans go to all the time, right? Mm-hmm. But what I love about this is we forget that Geezer Butler, the bassist, was really the intellectual of the group, wrote many of the lyrics, uh, you know, was the horror aficionado, uh, and he turned to H.P. Lovecraft mm-hmm. for the inspiration here. There's a Lovecraft short story, Beyond the Wall of Sleep. For Sabbath, it becomes behind. That's why hard. Behind, beyond. Now, the idea mm-hmm. is basically, as I gather it, because Lovecraft is a hard read, mm-hmm. all right? I like the idea of Lovecraft more than I like reading him, and he's a problematic author in a number of ways. Uh, there's a guy in a mental hospital, uh, and, and he doesn't know if he's asleep or he's dead. Is he dreaming? Did this universe ever exist? And then probably Cthulhu comes in there somewhere. Too. I don't I didn't know. <laughs> I lose the plot after a while with Lovecraft, uh, but I admire the Baroque, Gothic, absurd Dali almost like horror vision and gosh you know Sabbath gets it starts out visions cupped within the flower deadly petals with strange power I, you know, Greg, when I was a kid with the lava lamp laying on the bed, uh, you know, listening to Sabbath, this sounded profound. H.P. Mm. Lovecraft inspired Behind the Wall of Sleep by Black Sabbath on Sound Opinions.
Yes, Black Sabbath, Behind <laughs> the Wall of Sleep. Greg, can I ask you, how many humans experience the vistas of many places which remain unknown for the waking awareness? Ozzy Osbourne, you know, he's the philosopher <laughs> king of metal. What can I say? See, I, he was reading what Geezer wrote. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't believe Ozzy ever understood a word. Well, I'm sure they had long philosophical discussions about their lyrics. I think Ozzy had checked out by that point. <laughs> well, on the first album, I think yeah. he checked out. Could have been, could have been. Uh, I want to play a song uh, that may seem uh, obvious to people when we think about songs about writing and about authors, uh, White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. Mm. Uh, but it, if you've been listening to the show at all, you probably know at some, at some point I've mentioned Grace Slick one or two times at least, and ah. I, I just think she's uh, phenomenal, uh, an incredible singer, an incredible writer, an incredible thinker. I think she had a huge role in the way the 60s counterculture was viewed, uh, you know, not only then, but for posterity's sake. And these songs still have incredible power. When White Rabbit comes on the radio, I got to tell you, my wife, Deb, cranks it up every time. I mean, I think if she had a Desert Island song, this would be it. And I understand why, because every time I listen to it, I am struck by how pithy it is. There's very few lines in this song. It's only two minutes long, but it distills the essence of the Lewis Carroll book, Alice in Wonderland, into a small treatise, a manifesto of what the counterculture was all about in the 60s. I love that line, one pill makes you larger and one pill makes you small. And the ones that mother gives you don't do anything at all. Yeah. You know, it was the whole notion of what this previous generation is feeding us isn't doing anything for us anymore. We're in Vietnam. We're in a quagmire of civil rights and women's rights uh, being violated. We need to move beyond this. And, and it was really a statement about, you know, what, what the counterculture could do and, and the kind of vision it had for the future that we were building for this country. So that's a lot of baggage to lay on a song that's really quite catchy and really quite short and pithy. And that's the brilliance of Grace Slick, being mm-hmm. able all to, to put that forth in a two-minute song that was happened to be a huge hit. Uh, White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane on Sound Opinions.
White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. Jim, you've got one more song for us inspired by a writer. I do. Greg, this is one of my all-time favorite writers, and 10,000 Maniacs paid tribute. Hey, Jack Kerouac. Now, you know, I'm actually a card-carrying member of the Columbia College Chicago English Department, mm-hmm. right? With all my literary colleagues. I think right now we're at uh, one of these periodic lulls in the uh, way we look at the beats. We, You know, it starts out, this is not writing, this is typing. Kerouac right. is denigrated, right? Uh, and then, of course, in the 60s, in the period you were just talking about, uh, well into the 70s, the, the, the stream of consciousness poetry uh, and the quest for kicks on the highways and byways of life, the be here now philosophy, live life to the fullest, right? You know, and then that goes out of fashion again. Although I will argue that the entire 80s rock indie idol of, you know, uh, get in the van, tour the country, that comes from Kerouac, right? Now it's out of fashion again, but I go back to On the Road like every two, three years for the poetry. It starts in Hoboken, Mm -hmm. like I do, okay? (laughs) And they're looking out across this country and they cross the country, and it's beautiful. And I think Natalie Merchant of 10,000 Maniacs on, uh, you know, the second major label album for the group, the one that really made them stars, uh, you know, she, she gets that and she is using the poetry and the rhythm of Kerouac's language in the song. Hip flask, slinging madman, streaming cafe flirts, they all spoke through you. I mean, that's beautiful. You know, Kerouac uh, is one of the people that made me realize that writing can have the rhythm of great music. Mm -hmm. And I think that continues with all of the songs we've been playing, including the Byzantine ones, uh, like Lovecraft. Here is 10,000 Maniacs. Gosh, I always loved Natalie Merchant. Hey, Jack Kerouac on Sound Opinions.
Hey, Jack Kerouac by 10,000 Maniacs. Let's bring the 10,000 Maniacs revival around. <laughs> now we want to hear from you. What are your favorite songs that reference a writer? Call 888-859-1800 and leave us a message. Tell us your choice. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Jim, next week we're going to go deep on the history of Alligator Records, a label that has brought us some of the greatest Chicago blues albums of all time. Download your sound opinions wherever you get your podcast thingies. The show has been produced, as always, by Brendan Banisak, Alex Claiborne, Ina Contreras, and Andrew Gill. All I do is run around crying. And oh, baby, baby, what is On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi, Sound Opinions. It's Pat from Toronto calling. I just wanted to put in a comment about the Maggie Rogers and uh, Sharon Bennett and review you did. How brutally honest it was, and I really appreciate that because I've listened to a lot of other people on radio stations, and it sounds like they just praise everything like it's the last album they'll ever get if they say something negative about it. And I really appreciate that from you. Cheers. Great show. Maybe it's the song I'm singing. Hi, Jim and Greg. This is Andres calling from Santa Monica, California. I was just listening to your episode on weird instruments. And as you ended with the bagpipe, it reminded me that in Colombia, my native Colombia, uh, there is an instrument that we call gaita, which is the same name that we use for bagpipes. It sounds like one harmonious droning instrument, but in reality it's two flutes played together. And the first time that this instrument came out of the indigenous uh, repertoire into a pop world in Colombia was in 1993 with Carlos Vives' song La Gota Fria, which is uh, uh, itself a, a cover from an, an original song from like the 50s. And he has used it in his band ever since, and it's a staple now of Colombian music. Just wanted to mention uh, this very cool Colombian rock star, done a great deal for our, our music, integrating folkloric music into popular music. Anyway, thank you so much. I love your show. Bye. My name is Joshua Cohen. I live in the Bay Area. Moved here from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 75 when I was 30 and uh, had seen several times the jazz bagpipist who has several albums, don't know if you're familiar with him, Lucas Harley. He played on his own in jazz clubs. He played with Sun Ra. And I believe he was the first, uh, you know, to, to use the instrument, the Scottish Highland bagpipe, as a jazz musician. 
Bye-bye. Hi, this is Jason. Uh, I'm from Miami. I listened to the uh, show about uh, Walk This Way, and I distinctly remember being an 11-year-old kid. For the last two or three years, I was totally into the breakdancing culture, as were all of my friends. So Run DMC were superheroes to us. Uh, and one thing that wasn't mentioned on the show was um, how it was really the music video uh, between uh, Run DMC and, and, and Aerosmith that really popped it for everybody to see it see run dmc on on mtv was huge and i remember um being in my in my bedroom turning up uh, the volume full blast because uh the, the video had come on and i was probably jumping on the bed and, and playing air guitar and my dad walks in and i turn it down and he looks at me and said oh aerosmith's back i hate aerosmith and it was the first time that I realized, I think, that Aerosmith was an entity that existed before. I never, never heard of them, wasn't interested. But, you know, obviously that song made a lot of us uh, very interested. And to Aerosmith's credit, they put out good records at around that time. So Run DMC definitely uh, helped Aerosmith pop for at least the generation that I belong to. Anyway, love the show. Thanks a lot. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.